Okay, so we're in the middle of a topic. Let's recap. The main points we've said so far, and I want to get to the practical part of it today. And that was we spoke about historically the, the idea of forming a Jewish army. Why, when there was... Klai Israel had kings, there was a necessity to have an army and to the job of the king. Why, after that, even those places where there would have been enough people to maybe potentially try and mobilize uh, our forces to fight or to fight back, it was never the done thing historically. And we explained from the story of uh, the time of the Kassak uprising why that was the case, why it would be more dangerous to Klaishal as a whole uh, if the Klaishal would be seen to be fighting battles and to have reprisal effects on Jews everywhere. We said that there may be a difference today, and maybe the situation today is one which does warrant again making a Jewish army as opposed to the situation then. Uh, but either way around, what we understand the Jewish army to be is number one, an army which, which marches to the concept of the Aracha, number one, and number two, an army which understands that Lashama Yeshua. And therefore, the idea of making a secular army, which means an army which values its military strength in terms of its uh, physical capabilities and prowess and uh, doesn't see Hashem as part of the picture, that was never the way Jews went to war, that was Yudai Esav, and that was never the way which, which Jews were successful either. And therefore, even if there is a necessity for an army, the army which there needs to be is an army which, which understands that principle. And therefore, the army which understands that it's, it's not just the soldiers on the battlefield uh, who are being successful, it's also the schusim of Klaishal behind them. Like the Gemara, he says that Yoav was successful. Yoav was a general of David Amalek, and he was successful in battle in Moab because David was learning Torah in Yerushalayim which means the balance that there is between the people who are actually involved in fighting and the people who are involved in providing the schusim on which the army is going to deserve success. We finished and said that, 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 that even if it's not necessarily the way that the army in Israel is set up, unfortunately, but the result is still the same, because like we gave stories at the end of the bad last time, and that is there isn't really a good explanation uh, in military terms for the victories that Clyde shall have had, for the times that the fact there haven't been more casualties, the fact that uh, things have, so to speak, worked with Hashem planning it. And uh, so we have to say that even if the, the army isn't the ideal Jewish army we would want, but they are still schosim, and therefore Hashem still is taking a hand in directing the outcome of all. That's all background. Now what I want to talk about today is against that background. The army being what it is, the situation being what it is, the fact that we are surrounded by enemies near Israel. So now becomes the practical question. The practical question of, of what's uh, two points related to the question. One is the question of uh, what's our way of looking at joining the army. And number two, what's our looking at the people who are soldiers who are fighting in the army. Okay, so obviously there's a lot of political opinions involved and uh, from diametrically opposed to each other. So I want to serve the way that the correct approach and then also not just to talk for ourselves but also to discuss when people are asked the question of what do you say about the army, or why are you part of the army, or, or why do you oppose the army, whatever the question is going to be, or how it's going to be asked, and try and give them a how to answer that too. Okay, so the first point I want to talk about, and that is that there's a, 
a certain mistake, a certain mistake in our society, and that is that people feel that if we're not being drafted to the army, Kiiru means we have no responsibility or interest in what happens to anyone else. Now if we say, if we're not, not actively involved in defense or in doing things for the benefit of Kai Yisrael, so then we're in a bubble of, we're of our own and we don't have any responsibility to anybody else. And that's a big mistake. That's a big mistake. The understanding has to be that uh, not, not, not that we're detached from the society we're in, not that we don't have a responsibility to them, it's exactly the other way around. Our understanding is that we are responsible and not only are we are responsible, we're more responsible perhaps than the average soldier because like we saw beforehand, if we understand that what Kaisal needs is is Dishmaya and is a schus is a schus in order to be in order for Hashem to help us, then we have to see ourselves as being the ones who who so to speak charged with the responsibility of providing that schus. In when he talks about the fact of the person who doesn't learn Torah. So basically Nefesh Chaim says, any misfortune in the world is his fault. Why, there aren't people doing things wrong in the world? There aren't people in the world who, who, who are more guilty than the person who's not learning? And Nefesh Chaim explains, and he says that just like every place, every country, definitely a whole nation, are judged as a unit. And if that's the case, of course, there are people who are doing things wrong. But if there are enough people who are doing things right, so then the, the overall merits can over, uh, outweigh the overall chiyavu, the overall, so to speak, averis. And therefore, the people who meant to be adding to the, the balance of Klaishal's merits, you're charged with the job. And that is, you have to outweigh any negative things which Klaishal are doing. You have to overcome any, uh, any averis or any rat which would either weigh down the side of Chayvah for Klai Yisrael, and you have to provide enough schosim to do that. So you charge with the job. And if a person doesn't do that, so the, the Nefesh Chaim, so the Chavit Chaim, gives a marshal, of a person whose job was to be the fire chief. Now in Europe, fire chiefs were very limited in their resources. It meant running down to the river to bring pails of water to throw in the fire. But it's not a one-man job. And therefore the job of the fire chief was to run around the city like waving like the, the bell, which is a fire alarm, and then everybody would run and watch what is their cut to try and douse the fire. If not, well, the houses are made of wood. So if without that, a, time, a timely warning, then the whole city could burn down. So he saw the story of the fire chief, that he smelled the smoke, he saw the fire, he was lazy, he couldn't be bothered. So he didn't do anything about it, and the city burned down. And afterwards, when the people were looking to to see like, who's to blame for the tragedy. So they blame him. He said, what do you want from me? I didn't light the fire. And the answer was, it's true you didn't light the fire, but you had the job to, to, to put the fire out. And if you didn't do that, you're as much responsible as the person who did it. <coughs> and the time is that Marshall the same way. And that is, maybe we aren't the ones guilty of Klaistral's Averis. We weren't the one who lit the fire. But we have a job. And that is, we can provide an Afs which can counter the effect of that. We can provide enough schosim that the balance of Klai will be that Klai gets judged as Tadikim. And that's a responsibility. That's a responsibility. And if that's the case, when we see that there's times of punishment, or we see that there's times of danger, it means there's a certain kitruk. It means there's a certain uh, accusation being leveled against us. 
against us collectively, against us as a rabbi. And if that's the case, so then this becomes our department, we're the fire, we're the fire brigade. This becomes our department, we have to do something to balance that, so to speak, negativity, that kitrug, because that's what's going to restore the, the, the balance of cholesterol being in the, in the positive, in the side of the merit. So, if we take our responsibility seriously, so then the fact that there's danger and the fact that there's a shasa sakana and the fact that there's the threat of people being hurt or killed, so that should inspire us to do more. It has to do more. So yes, we, we should be conscripted, not for military service, but for increased Torah, increased diving. That's our job. We're the ones who have to provide that spiritual, so to speak, power, powerhouse, which is going to help play Israel. And yeah, if it means taking on extra commitments in China, taking on like, more of a responsibility in what we do, it's understood that that's meant to be our job. And if we don't do that, so then even Ba'ana Shemayim were guilty. Ba'ana Shemayim were guilty that we had a job to do. We were meant to be the, provide the schus which would protect everybody, like the Apostle says. The Gemara says that if the, the part of the Amunna in Torah is that uh, Hashem protects the entire place because of the schos of the Torah in the place. And if we meant to be, we see that there's a danger, so the way to respond to that danger is do more. Add to the schosim. Yes, every person should feel an added sense of responsibility. This was part of the Cheshman, just in parenthetically, uh, while the Gedalim decided that Matasim was going to come back and done. There's no benefit as many. If being people have been conscripted to the army, you conscripted to Yeshiva. You need Chosim and you have to do something about it. And it didn't stop a week later when it became regular as man. That should be a person's mindset still. If there's, if there's a war going on and we can do more, then we're obligated to do more. Then we're doing our job. If we're not, then we can blame ourselves if, if, if there hasn't, if, there, if there's setbacks, if there's casualties, if there's you know, whatever, whatever damage that the war is causing because we could have provided more of a source. We meant to provide more of a source. That's the job. That's the first point. So we don't look at it as if it doesn't concern us, we don't care, we don't, we're apathetic. We're very, very involved, and we, not only that, we realize that a big part of the outcome is dependent on us. So we should feel obligated to do, and to do more, because that's going to be the, like I said, what generates the source of the Now, having said that, that's the first point. So, the, the second point, the second point is that the from our worldview, from our hashkafa, from our knowledge that Akadosh Baruch Hu judges Israel, and the success depends on the merits of Israel. So then, then then that obligates us. I want to share with you something I heard from Rav Moshe Sternbuch, um many years ago in, during a different war. Uh, he said that he was a bacher in London during the Second World War. Shiva called Rav Moshe Schneider is Shiva. Rav Moshe Schneider was a Talmud of he owned the in London, and that's where Moshe Shlambach was a bachet during the war. And in London, they knew about the war. They were being bombed themselves by the Germans. So they knew what was happening. They knew a little bit even what was happening to the Jews. And the Bachem came to ask Shiva, Rav Schneider, like, why, why, why is this happening? So the answer he gave was similar to the answer that all the Gdaim at the time said. And that was, uh, it was just a natural consequence from the rampant uh, assimilation into marriage you know, being prick us all, giving up everything of Jews before that, that this was the response from Nashimayim. And the obvious follow-up question was, why are so many from Jews getting killed? 
Why so many Benetari getting killed? Why so many good people getting killed as well? And Rashnaid's answer said from Rashnaid's answer, he said he heard it from Rashnaid, I heard it from him. He said, because nobody in Europe was thinking about protecting Klai Yisrael. He said the situation was each Yeshiv or each Chassidus was basically interested in, like, so to speak, sheltering themselves from everybody else and uh, closing themselves up from everybody else. They were too scared of the effect of the, of the rest of the Jewish world on them and therefore each one became very insular into their own world. He said there was no one who was learning or doing schusim to protect Klai Yisrael. And if that's the case, then there wasn't that level of, so to speak, schus which was meant to be for Klai Yisrael. Are we talking about today still? So therefore... Uh, the person could is if we see that Klai Yisrael is in danger so we, we're ready to we're ready to support Klai Yisrael except the way to do that is to do Muslim and uh, whether it's in Israel whether it's around the world now we say Klai Yisrael judges the unit and if that's the case the fact that wherever it is in the world people learn more daven more say more to him whatever it's going to be that's all adding to the schos and when we see that the schos is necessary because we see that it's a shasadin so then that becomes not just a a sentimental thing of uh, solidarity, it becomes a khilf. It becomes a khilf. That's, that's the first point. Now, the next point. Uh, uh, so the first point is, if we would feel more responsible for helping clients, if we would feel more responsible for, the, for doing more in order to bring about more of the so then yes, we would, uh, we would see results in practice. And only that, even... Even people who don't necessarily share our hashkafa sachayim, share our worldview, would see that too. Would see that too. And in, just in the last few months, I've heard countless stories of cases like that, of even secular army officials, whatever it's going to be, officers, who've realized that the, 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 the sometimes the siyad dishmai was things they didn't count for themselves, and uh, the attribute to Whatever schosim that they saw as being what was behind it. I mean, there's one very famous Makarev, well-known here in Israel, and he said he got a call from one from a lieutenant major in the army, in the personnel department, and this person told him, when we planned the war in Gaza, so we always know any time the army plans a war, they take into they take a, like an analysis of what what kind of casualties they think they're going to face. What, what's what's in uh, a, re- a such a reasonable estimate of how much we're going to lose by going to by going into war. So he says when the he- when the headquarters decide, were discussing the ground defense in Gaza and they were trying to make a calculation of how many soldiers do we think we're going to lose. They worked on they thought they were going to lose a thousand soldiers in the first month. And by the first month of war we lost people, we less than a hundred. Now three months into the war they've lost about nearly two hundred soldiers. Their their assessment was a thousand soldiers a month. And he said, it makes no sense. There were so many times that the things were, uh, like, were trapped, were, 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 like, were blew up in front of them. And, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, there were, there were much, much fewer casualties than they expected. So this, this, this major call to the shrub. And he said, tell people to keep davening because we see it's making a difference. So that's the first point. The first point is that there's a certain awareness that it does make a difference. It does make a difference what we do. It does make a difference even people who are not necessarily in our world understand that. The second point. The second point, and that is that there's a certain feeling of there's one thing to be involved, but there's another, there's another element of when a person is actually most nefesh, when a person is actually putting himself at risk. And that's true. A person on the front line is much more at risk. So now, 
the truth is that there's I'm not talking about the I'm not talking about the serious nefesh of the individuals we'll talk about that soon what I want to talk about first is what's our response to that and, and the, answer, the answer to that really is and that is that what makes an army so to speak successful needs many different departments I mean it needs many different departments it's not necessarily that the people on the front line are the ones who are the most instrumental to to the success of the, of the war they might be the ones the most at risk and I was denying that but it's not that they're the ones who are going to change the battle. More significantly, then, I'll give you two or three other departments, which they'll each claim that they're the primary uh, players in the battlefield, and then none of them are at risk because they're not on the front line. The first one is intelligence. In every country, military intelligence is going to claim that they're the most responsible for what happens in the war, even though the mates are there sitting wherever they're sitting and with whatever equipment they have, not necessarily putting themselves at risk on the front line. That's just one example. Uh, the next one. And that is uh, the the people training the soldiers. If you're training people to go into battle, so then you have a very, very big part in the success as well. Now again, not necessarily are those people the ones who are at risk, but they're the ones who are responsible for for, for preparing the army. Same thing, the general stuff, which means the head of the headquarters and decision the people making decisions also on this uh, no one risks their generals of putting them on the front line. Right. So the fact that there are people on the front line is for sure true they're more at risk. But that's but necessary, not necessarily are they more instrumental than any other department in the army. And the same thing here. If we consider ourselves the ones providing the swissin for, for the army, so then we don't have to be on the front line for that. We have to be we have to be involved, we have to be invested, but necessarily the fact that we are on the risk isn't what makes us more valuable our contribution less or more valuable to the to the army. There's a a similar idea, which after the Six Day War, Israel was miraculously successful beyond their own expectations. So uh, in Tel Aviv, they made something called a Bimat Nitzachon, like a victory, a victory, uh, so to speak, stage and uh, celebration. And each head of the department of the army got up in turn to really take credit for what was because of them that uh, they won the war. So they had the Air Force, and that was our tremendous air power and our ability to, to shoot down enemy aircraft. We ruled the skies, that was one of them. And the intelligence center was called the vast. We knew all the information in advance. We could give them all the information. And uh, the engineering corps, every, every, every head of the department took, took credit for what they thought was the critical point in the world. So afterwards, one of the guests there was the Rabbi Rashid at the time, I don't know who it was, and asked him to speak. Well, that said, that's what you did for the war. So he said to them that when the war started, again, they made an assessment how many people are we likely to lose. And they didn't think there would be enough Baltic forests in Israel to marry all the, all the people. It happened on five sides. They didn't think there would be enough Baltic forests. So they, so they apportioned big areas of farmland to use for Baltic forests because there, there wasn't anywhere else, which they knew about. So he said, we made sure that those farms stayed farms. We made sure that they never got used. And that's the same idea. And that is, even if... Sorry? What war, what war was this? Sixth day war. And that's uh, the same point. Even people planning a battle take a certain analysis of what they think we're going to lose. It never happened. It never happened. It wasn't because you thought that you had the way to prevent that. You didn't. You took that into consideration when you planned the war. And it didn't happen. You have to, you have to address that to a different kayak. 
That's that's uh, the second point you wanted to say. Now, one more point. One more point. And that is the argument. Well, why can't you do both? You know, why can't you, why can't you, you know, do things to provide schism and go fight in, in, in the front line? And, uh, like there are units of, of from soldiers who show military mitzvahs and they also try and learn and they're not at war and, 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 and they want to fight. So why not do both? What's the problem with trying to combine both? <coughs> and the answer is, the answer is, it's very simple. If you need to deploy your forces, so now you have to think, in what, in what capacity do I need people? And if that's the case, so then I'm not going to take somebody out of a job he's doing well to put him in a place where to do a job where someone else could do equally well. If, if you have a person who's, uh, who has his particular t- job to do, and he's doing it, so then even doing the job he's doing well, if, if you have other people do other jobs. It's not like you need him to, to transfer him out of his post for a different reason. And it's the same thing over here. If we understand the first point, and that is, we're not doing nothing. We have a job to play, and it's an important job. And we're a minority here, so we need as many people as we can in our department. So then, why take people out of a department where they need it to put them into different departments where they're not as needed? And that's why the people ask the theoretical question. If there weren't enough soldiers, would we need to fight? That's a theoretical question. It's not the case. Because the case is they have enough soldiers. Uh, they, they didn't call off everybody they could, and even then they've been letting people go the whole time. They don't need them. But here we, but, but in the department of providing a schosim, so then I don't know if we have enough soldiers. We need to, they, they, that's what they need people. And if that's our department, then we, we need it for, where we, for what we're doing. Why, why, why move people out of a department where they're necessary to somewhere else? Now, you'll understand that all the different points you've said all revolve around the central thing. And that is, we also take a chais. We also take a chais. If a person's going to take the attitude of saying, no, no, no we don't care, it's nothing to do with us. You know, it's, we, it's not, not our issue, it's not our problem, we deny the whole thing. So then there's, a, there's an argument which you can't really argue with, and that is, you all have the risk as well. You all have the risk as well. The enemies don't really care what your religious persuasion is. If you're Jewish, they want to kill you. And if that's the case, what, what moral right is it to say, I don't care, it has nothing to do with me. That's not true. Uh, and we saw that's not the answer. The answer is, we do care. We do care, but we understand that what we're doing is having results, and therefore we're going to mobilize ourselves to our department. That's what's important. And that's why the whole, the whole, the whole argument about, uh, you know, can religious people work in a second army or not, is irrelevant. They're going to say, we'll make special units for you, and you'll get that's food, and you'll get your whatever it is. That's not the argument. That's not the argument. The argument is that where would we be, if we have to choose, where would we best be able to help Klai Israel? This is where we're best able to help Klai Israel. For the person who's not learning, so then it's a good question. What are you doing to help? What are you doing to help? It's a good question. And the person has to answer that question themselves. But if you're asking Bashita, what's our answer? As Lenday turns to the question, the answer is we're helping too. We're doing an extremely important role. Without that, the world, the world, the world would look terribly different. You know, there were some Bachim came to me that they saw a week, two weeks after the war started. It's probably signs, you know, there's no one picking lettuces, there's no one picking oranges, you know, all the fruit's spoiling because there's no one to, you know, all the Thai workers were either ran away or were captured, and all the other people, half the people, half the workforce is in the army. So, uh, like, help, please, any volunteers, please come and help us you know, in the farming. 
And so some of the few bachrim are going to say, oh, maybe sugar help. And then he's going to pick, pick, pick oranges and help him uh, you know, deal with all the, all the things that they need people for. So I said, I understand you. I said, if you're going to help Klai Israel, uh, so sit in there. You don't want to, you don't want to sit in there? Okay, so you want to help us go fight. But picking oranges, that's like on the level, level of priorities, that comes last. Uh, uh, you're doing much more important than that. You don't understand that? Uh, why do you think you have to help Klai Israel by going to some farm to pick an orange? You're helping Klai Israel by sitting in there. If you don't appreciate that, then you're probably helping Klai Israel more by going to fight than by picking oranges. That's, uh, that, that's the IFS. Now, uh, the first point, that should be clear to us. That should be clear to us. Uh, if it's clear to us, now let's talk about how to answer the questions. Which you're going to get asked in this, in three different directions. Is it binary, if, if someone's learning or not? So they often, the left wing or the pro like, army will often say, anyone who's not learning properly should go to the army. Like, what do they, How do you judge if someone's learning one seder a day, but someone's learning one seder and battling a second seder? Like, how... We would want everybody to do the maximum that they can. We would want everybody to do the maximum they can. This is a Mashas Muhammad. And if that's the case, the person should do as much as he can. Think, a lot of guys was riding on your shoulders. And if you saw that clearly, imagine you saw there's a shoulder in the front and in Shemaim he's linked to you. You do better than he gets protected. You don't chasm he's gonna die. Then you feel much more of an Achrayas to do more because you're protecting him. Now it doesn't have to work one on one, it's working on a communal level, but that's the way we meant to feel. Now, so if that's the way we're starting, so now if that's the question, if a person's going to ask the question, so now the question is where the question is coming from, and it's always going to break it into three, the time question, the Russia question, and the Chafim question. If we're talking about a Chafim question, so then the answer to that is to explain this principle. To explain the principle. If a person really wants to know, like, how can you, how do you explain it, why don't you feel obligated to, to help as well? Like, why can you, how can you, or the time like to quote the Pasuk, your brother's going to fall and you stay behind. And the answer to that is, in that very battle, a thousand went to war and a thousand stayed behind. Yes, we're the ones who stay behind to provide this chosen for those going to battle. And uh, that, that's the, the same principle here. But, uh, but there's so many people not doing that. Again, our rule is we don't justify people. We justify the principle. We, we, would, insert, we would want every single person who's meant to be in yeshiva to be sitting and learning full time. Doing extra. Put an extra ad at least into your schedule because you're protecting clients from there. People aren't doing it. Then, yeah, we should deal with it. That's wrong. They should uh, they should be doing more too. That that's for sure is the first point. Um, the person who doesn't necessarily come from that point of view in the manner, like he doesn't see how learning is going to help the army. Okay, so we can go we, get, we can go through the facts. We spoke about the stories we gave. How the wars fought in this country weren't run with normal military strategy. How the results were competing with what not anybody expected to happen. And uh, we have to attribute to a certain level of Dishmaya, which again, there's so many stories of the soldiers themselves who said that cases which things happened which in the, in the gather of the supernatural, in the gather of miraculous. And uh, where does that come from? Where does it come from? If you're going to take into account that there's a spiritual force or spiritual kayak involved, so you have to say that who's, who's providing that isn't necessarily the person who doesn't believe it is not keeping anything. It's the people who, who are making it happen. If it's, if it's a time question, if it's a time question, and that is, without the background, just, like, it doesn't seem fair. Like all the casualties are like, in, one, in one demographic and other people don't suffer from it. Like, why is that fair? So the answer to that is what we said before. The answer to that is the different departments in the army. Right. And the, the army assigns people to all different departments, and some of them, you know, you, have you ever heard of 
people in the army like cooking, uh, cooking departments being at risk. No, but the army needs cooks. And if you have people in the army supply store when they when they sew the clothing or whatever it is, no, but the army needs that too. The army needs not the, the army needs lots of different departments. Not everybody's necessarily at risk, but you're, they're all necessary, necessarily important. And now the question is: so then, uh, so, so then, why is it fair which people go in which departments? Well, the one question, the one answer that is, put people where they're good. Let people do the job that they're good at. And what's even more, and that's true also, and it's even simpler answer is, let people do what they want to do. Because there's actually, maybe this isn't so well known, but there's actually a waiting list of soldiers for the fighting units. They don't have enough place for them. I know this because I know two different people in my neighborhood who happen to be in the army, and they're both very miserable because they put in, one was put on guard duty, like guarding stores, and the other one was put in some office job in the army, and they're both desperate, they want, they want to go fight. And they're asking me if I know a protector or somebody who can try and help them to be transferred to a fighting unit. No one doesn't need them in a fighting unit. We don't want you there. So if, if, if you have enough people who want to be in the units at the end, so then why, why change that? And the argument could be that they often say, well, even if we agree with the concept that, that the, another unit of the army is the yeshiva system, they're saying it's not enforced as well as the army and there's too much has and there's Fair enough. Fair enough. I can accept that. It doesn't do with this point. In Should, principle, in principle, in principle, so it should be enforced. I agree. It should be, but then, then people to enforce every Rosh Hashiva and every Mashgiach. It's your job to enforce discipline and order in your Yeshiva. And if you have to be, you have to be the one to bring your people to come and learn and to do their job. One hundred percent. If Kairos isn't a good thing in any setting. Yeah. Now the last point. You know, yeah. Well, for, no, it's better they should do something. No, I mean, meaning by we see that this guy is there's no chance. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, what they call a, you know, a, no, it's for this. No, but the question is why. The question is why. Again, we don't get up on people so quickly. We have to sit around and try to work on what the problem is. Right. If it's something which you can get him to do, even if it's by saying to him all day, what's the difference? But you're going, that does more than going to fight. So we'll try, we'll try and mobilize you in a way which we can use it. Now, the last point. And that is for the person, who, the question which comes from the attack. And that's normally, now you have to dif- differentiate here between where, why a person is coming to attack. And that is, why, why is a person coming to attack them? So it could be from two places. The first one, the more logical one, is an emotional place. A person's lost a relative, and it's like kind of, we suffer and you don't suffer. It's like coming from a certain level of, um, of a feeling of, we've all lost people and you haven't lost anybody it's like not fair we're bearing more of the so to speak the, the tragedy than you are the Mesa there's nothing to say just to sympathize a person who's coming from an emotional place is not interested in an argument and there's nothing to argue about you can understand a person who's lost a relative alone in the army it's a tragedy and you understand that they feel they feel broken and you understand that they feel the loss and then of course all you can do is try and try to understand what a, a tremendous thing it was that someone gave up their life for Klai Yisrael. And then again, depending how much they're willing to accept Hashkov HaSachayim. So what we tell people like that is, and our way of looking at someone who gives up his life to save other Jews is a tzaddik. Someone who, gave, who chose to give up his life to save other Jews is a tzaddik. And it could be that the way they had spent their life until then didn't make them a tzaddik. 
It could be they live not like a tzaddik, but they die like a tzaddik. And if a person is prepared to accept it, we can definitely take it a step further. And that is that for this person, it could be living a life of complete disinterest or anything to do with Yiddishkeit. So okay, they would have lived, they would have had a good life here, yeah, and then they would have had nothing afterwards. And the person who died to save Klai Yisrael at the age of 19, 20, whatever it's going to be, Kohen Elama. And I could say, you know, we are, we are spending years in Yeshiva to try and get Elam Abba, and your son, brother, relative, whoever it is, you got it in one minute. He died to save the Jewish people. You consider him a tzaddik. Someone's wasting their shalakal Is that true? To some extent, it's true. In other words, for sure, he gets rewarded for that. Is it going to be the same reward as, as anybody else? No, everyone's reward is different. You, but just to explain... Well, is he forgiven for his avarice or not? Another question. But there's a nukudah he gets on him above for that, which he might not have gotten otherwise. So, so that, that's definitely something of value that is, you know, appreciates. For, and we look at it that way too. You know, if a person who has no other connection to anything religious in their life, but they're going to the army, at least that, they have one tremendous cost to their credit. They're most nervous they're Jews. That's a big thing. That's a diff- good question, but it's, uh, I'll leave for a different discussion. Because it's a good question that needs to be answered with the background of Hashar Valimabovics. Um, now, the last point. And that is, so that's for the first person. For the person who's coming from that emotional place. So then, yes, the answer is that we, we, we both agree that your relative who died was, it was a tremendous sacrifice. I can even tell you that in my world, I think he's going to get rewarded for that. Uh, and the way I look at it, I think that that's a tremendous source of marriage which most people don't have. And uh, normally that's enough. That's enough. Because, like I said lots of times, if a person is not a mammon, tragedy is overwhelming. Because there's no meaning in it. It's just like, it's, it's meaningless. It's, it's death for nothing, and now what? What is it for? In our world, we know there's reward and punishment. Hashem, Hashem orchestrates things. It's nothing for nothing. And if I can impart a little bit of that hashkafa to the person, that becomes what's interesting. Whether, either, whether you are or you're not, it's not that, that, that no longer becomes the focus. Whether you can look, you can make them reshape re- the perspective of their tragedy as there was meaning in it, and the person's going to who died, we see he's going to gain from it. That normally is much better than trying to argue about, like justifying the people who are not going to argue. It doesn't. It's not. The, it's not the way to argue. It's not going to help anything. That's one. If sometimes it's coming from a certain anti-Torah opinion, that is, we don't believe in this. We don't think it's any value. You're just, you're just finding an excuse not to do something which really is going to make a difference and you're not helping the people because you, you're claiming that you, your, your Torah is going to help. Okay, if the person's a kaifer, the person's a kaifer, then he's not asking a question, he's making a statement. Okay, you just have to disagree. And you think like that, we think differently. In, in our way of thinking, we think we're doing a lot for Klai Yisrael. Not only that, in our way of thinking, we think that you're the ones destroying Klai Yisrael by not keeping the Torah. But you don't accept that. Okay, so we'll, 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 we'll both hold of our own opinions. It doesn't mean I hold, I hold that they're right. Like I said before, something isn't a question you don't have to answer. If it's coming as a statement or a position statement, okay, you ask your position. My position is definitely. Um, the last point. If it's coming from a point of, of that, you know, that, that there's a, a certain, uh, let's say, a communal responsibility for everything which a country needs, so then all, all citizens should be equal. Where's equality? Why, why isn't everyone treated equally? 
Now, that's not really a fair argument to, to use here, because even without the Torah system, there's no equality at all. Any, any doctor student will also get an exemption from army if they want. It's not like every single person goes to army. They, 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 they give out uh, dispensations not to go for anything that they think is important. Any, any sportsman, any musician, anyone a doctor student, like I said, the, 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 the army isn't that strict about getting everyone in the army in the first place. And they don't even need the soldiers. They have enough. And therefore to say that uh, we, we, no, we're the only ones who are not carrying our share of the burden, that's not even true. But uh, even if it's going to be that we're a certain section of the population that isn't doing that, so you have to go with what you said before. And that is, a, a society has many different aspects to it, and everyone has to be involved in what they're good at, and being able to keep the society together. Do we not want to help? But you don't care about the people, that's not true. If you see when it comes to every chassid organization in Israel, it's come out always charity. Whether it's Azimitian, uh, whether it's Zaka, whether it's Hatzala, whether it's like uh, listing other 10 or 15 organizations, Yad Sarah, all, everything, it's, it's not like people don't want to help. So why is here different? So you have to, here we have to differentiate that when there was a need, we filled the need. When there was a need. So whenever it came to the Chesed thing, so yes, there's a need to help, we did it. Um, when, it comes to the, when it comes to fighting battles, then the need goes beyond just the physical of being an ambulance service, of providing help, of providing support, or Shabbos food, whatever it's going to be. Now the need comes protecting Kali Israel. We're doing that. We're doing it the best way we know. Why can't someone else do those jobs? Why can't someone else do what Salah is at Sea and Zaka? There wasn't. There aren't. How many people were there? I'm just showing that the mindset, if it's not dictated by law, so the people not in our camp don't even think of doing it. By us, it's all voluntary. It's not, it's not a law that you have to serve in the, in the Hatzala unit. If the question is the question of, do you want to help Klai Israel? Who's, who the volunteers to help Klai Israel? We're the volunteers. So why don't we volunteer for the army? And the answer is, we are. We're volunteering to help Klai Israel, but we think we're doing a better job than you. We think we're doing something which is more important. And once again, the results. The results that we see, that there's a difference between how walls run here. So we're going to take credit for that. We're going to say that you see that the difference that we make does make a difference. Let's go finish this story. Famously, Ben-Gurion, when he wanted to make national conscription, for boys, for girls, everybody, so obviously the opposition from, it was Khaznish. Khaznish stood, he, he, he was the leader of the opposition against that. It's a completely fine. He told Ringarin straight, he said, we all go to jail. I don't mind. No one's going to die. And Ringarin came to talk to him eventually. So it was, it was like a look at force. So he came to Khaznish's house in Bnei to try and convince him of why it's important, why it's, it's for the necessity of the country that the Kharim should fight an army. And the Khaznish basically made this point to him. And that is, we're saving the country more than you. And when you go and say, so if everybody's going to be in yeshiva, then no one's going to fight, what's going to happen? If we're doing more for the country. So when you go and say, so according to you, if everyone's going to sit in yeshiva and learn, and there are going to be no soldiers, then what's going to happen with all the enemies? And the Chazanesh told them, if everyone in the country is sitting in yeshiva learning, there won't be any enemies. The threat comes because Hashem's angry. And Hashem's angry because people aren't doing what he wants. So you're trying to deal pretty avid with trying to fight the problem. We're trying to solve the problem. And that's really the Ashkafa we meant to take with us when we talk about separating the